So, we are in week three of our Stand Your Ground series. Um, I sure hope you've been enjoying this. Um, I have been enjoying it myself. Uh, we've been talking about how we can stand our ground and still influence the world around us for Christ at the same time. So today, I've titled the message, Stand Up. Stand Up. I'm reminded of an old song that uh, was sung when I was a kid. Somebody raise your hand if you know it. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Yeah, a couple hands. Okay. There's an old hymn. It was written in the early 1800s, uh, and it's been sung since then uh, in churches. And it says, stand up, stand up for Jesus. And it's, it's, a, it's a rally cry for believers. And I really thought about this. The ground that we are talking about, when we say stand your ground, uh, it's not a selfish sort of thing. Uh, it is the understanding that the scripture calls us as children of God, heirs of his kingdom. So we are heirs with him, and the ground we stand on, not the you know actual physical dirt, but the metaphorical ground that we have in our lives, the environments of influence that we're in, they are given to us to influence for the kingdom of God. And so I think sometimes what ends up happening is we've given into fear, and we've kind of shied away, and we've clammed up, and we haven't really stood for God. We've been a little bit scared. We've been terrified, in fact. But I really think there's an ultimatum that is looming for every believer. I sincerely believe this, and I find it funny because I hear the same words in a different context today coming out of my mouth as they did my dad, who's a pastor for years, who said it when I was a kid. And I thought, surely not. But I see it in today's culture. We have an ultimatum that we are facing, that we have been facing, and will face again. And the the important question is this. Will you bow or will you stand? That's the question. And I want us to talk about how we can stand up today. In fact, Christians around the world have already been faced with the choice of either denying God or being killed for their faith. And we have no guarantee. I, if you pay attention to the news, there is no guarantee that we someday will not face the same choice here in America. Do not be deceived. We are not going to last forever. This country, our government, is not going to last forever. The threats that are around the world from other religions towards Christianity or from those who are um, atheists towards Christianity, those attacks are on American soil even today. They're playing out in courtrooms as of right now and on street corners. But soon enough, there will be a time when we have got the choice to make. Will we bow or will we stand? And I really believe that God wants to put inside of us a courage to be able to make the right decision. Standing is a big theme in the Bible. You go a couple pages in and you hear about, okay, and all of them stood up and they started marching off to war, or all of them together. And you hear all of these different uh, ideas about standing. Look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says. It says this in verse 13 and 14. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. You see the, the, the combination there that, and ladies, please don't be offended by that first uh, part. 
act like men, stand up, you know, just kind of take charge. But he says there, be watchful, stand firm, be strong. And then the next verse has this combined effort. Let all that you do be done in love. Standing firm in our faith is a very important thing. And I think we've all felt maybe just a little bit of pressure regarding our faith. Maybe it's, you know, at a lunch table with mixed company and you're kind of not embarrassed. Maybe you wouldn't say it like that, but to pray over your food or something. We felt like a little bit of pressure in some way or some regard about our faith. But I read recently a firsthand account of a Christian man in Nazi Germany. The church that he attended was near the train tracks where the Jews were being transported to extermination camps. And the first time that they heard the train whistle as it came by, they could hear the noise of all of the Jews who were on the trains screaming for help. And it was unnerving. They're in church. They're trying to worship God. And they, they're they like, what is all of this horrible noise? And then as the trains began to go more frequently, it seemed like every Sunday about the same time there were trains going by with Jewish people on them on their way to these extermination camps. The world would have them called concentration camps, but it just doesn't do it justice to understand the horror that happened. So as these trains would pass by, at some point they, the Christians in the church, wanted to soften the noise that they heard, and so they just began to sing their hymns louder so that they wouldn't hear the voice of those who were crying and screaming for help. It's a firsthand account that you can verify of a man who attended that church who tells of the details of them doing this. And I think to myself, my heart is grieved in a moment like that, thinking, where were the people of God? Here we are singing, and the world literally in our backyard is dying. So we've got to understand this This question is going to be faced by all of us. And I'm sure there are those who were living in Germany in the days leading up to the Nazis taking control that thought, oh, that'll never happen here. That could never, we could never imagine it. So on the low end of the spectrum, we might have been embarrassed to pray over a meal or something like that. But on the high end of the spectrum, there's a man who was a German pastor during the same time. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, I've read his biography. It really is an incredible story. He stood for God and he was hanged for his faith. His final words are this. He says, I'm getting, tell my family, I'm getting ready to die. My end here is coming, but my new life is about to begin. So God can give us that same kind of courage. And no, I don't know that each one of us will face something that monumental in our life, but here's the deal. What we win in the small victory now will improve our chances and give us courage for when we face that harder, larger, bigger challenge. So God can give us the same kind of courage. There's a hallmark story in the book of Daniel. I'm going to be in Daniel chapter 3 if you want to turn in your Bibles with me today. And there are two really, the Daniel and the lion's den is really incredible. We hear about it from the time that we're little kids in Sunday school. Another one is these three guys with funny names who all get thrown into a fiery furnace. If you've ever watched VeggieTales, it's Rack, Shack, and Benny, uh, which is so much easier to say than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, but let me say this right up front. I want I, I had this thought 
uh, in the development of the message of standing up. And the first thought is this, standing up is done better when we are together. It's best done together. And the truth is, God gave you a church family. I believe every single person in this world not only needs Jesus, but needs a church family. I sincerely believe that. And I believe that when we stand, if we stand united together, there's nothing that could come against us. So we call it a faith family, but it's a church family. The truth is, you don't have to stand alone. The devil would have you believe that, yeah, it'll be okay, or nobody loves me, or whatever the thoughts that come into your mind. But the truth is, you don't have to stand alone. That's why I love being part of a faith family. When my kids need friends, they're in the faith family. When I need help, it's in the faith family. God has given us because he wants us to do this life together. So jump with me to Daniel chapter 3, and um, we're going to start in verse 1. Verse one says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. I want you to think about this for just a moment. I don't want to sound like an old fuddy-duddy outdated preacher, but I'm telling you something. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, something to look at. We would say there's an application in today's day and age because we're going to read in chapter three where there is both an image and a sound. And I believe with all of my heart that culture, it capitalizes on the image and on the sound. And we've got to be careful what we allow into our lives. It says this, whose height was 60 cubits, that would have been about 90 feet tall, and about 6 cubits or 9 feet wide. Okay, this is a giant statue. He set it up on the plain of Dura, and it says there, in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the, I'm going to skip these words, and I'm just going to say the top dogs, okay? There's like seven different categories, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 3 says, then all of these top officials from all the province gathered for the dedication of the image that he had set up, and they stood Pay attention. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse four, it says, and they, and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, stuff we don't even use anymore, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. There's something important in the beginning of verse four. It says this, that you were commanded. It's that idea that you don't have a choice in the matter. You are being commanded to do this. Peoples, nations, and languages. I want you to understand this in the idea of what we're talking about, that culture is attempting to command you to do something as well to bow to an image and to listen to a sound and to worship something other than God. Look at verse 12 though. It says this, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention 
to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In essence, they're getting tattletailed on. Somebody is ratting them out. And they're saying, these, these three guys are not bowing. You've put them in a place of leadership, and yet they are not giving in to your command. The truth of the matter is, is everyone bows to something. You and I will bow to something in our life. We will give our time, our talent, our affection. We'll give all of everything we have to something or someone. We'll make sure that we do because that's in the human heart. God created us with a desire. This is so important. God created you with a desire to worship him. And yet we try to find these other substitutes. I remember being on the mission field in, in Mexico uh, years ago, and we did a, a, a play or a skit uh, to music uh, for the, the benefit of the people who joined together for the outreach. And I remember them having a heart a giant cutout of a heart. And I remember them during the skit, there would be someone that would run up with a bottle of wine or liquor and try to put it in the heart and then it would just fall and break on the floor. It, it wasn't what was needed. And then they would continue to try to put other things inside of that heart. In fact, they would try to put a human relationship like hands holding in that heart. But the only thing that fit in the heart was a picture in the shape of a heart that had a cross painted on it. And I, and that image has stuck with me. We were created to worship something. You have a vacuum inside of your soul that needs to be filled with God and God alone. So here in this moment, they aren't bowing to this other thing. It's important for us to know that we are to bow to the right thing. Amen. So verse 13 says this, then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded them to be brought. So they brought these men before the king, and verse 14 tells us, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? King Nebuchadnezzar, I really think, responded to them in the way that culture does today to us. There's no real room for disagreement. I, I'm sure you've probably gathered that by now, but it is a toxic environment. It is no longer, I disagree with you, we can still be friends. It's, you don't believe what I believe? Well, I hate your guts, and I hope you die. That's, that's the reaction today. Furious rage and, and I would say sheer hatred are the go-to reactions of our culture today. If you don't choose to believe what I believe, then I hate you. And this is what goes on. See, what happens is believers in this moment, those three believers are standing before the pagan king and they're standing for something. They're standing for God and they're saying, I will not bow to this. And what it is, is it's, it's an affront to him and his pride. He says, how dare you not bow? Well, today it might sound a little bit like this. Well, why don't your family do that? My family does that. Our family watches those. We go here. It sounds a little bit softer, but there's furious rage behind that confrontation. Verse 15, it says this. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, and all those other instruments, every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I've made you, well and good. Good. 
But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? The king is saying, I'm going to give you just one more chance. Here's this moment of compromise. If you want to, you should. It'll be good for you. But if you don't, there's a fiery furnace waiting for you. I think today we are facing a moment just like that. Individually as Christians, individually as families, and even in the church. That there's this threat that if we refuse to bow there will be severe consequences. We've seen it play out. I don't need to tell you what the news is about Supreme Court and about bakers and about other things that are going on in the world. We see this and we understand this. But we need to be like these three guys who did not allow fear of retaliation to keep them from standing up. I really believe that we've got to stand up for what's right. And it is difficult. But we must refuse to bow to the image and to the sound of today's culture. There's an enemy that's working overtime to thwart God's plans for our lives. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. Standing up takes courage. The word courage comes from a French word, cour, which means heart, okay? We need to have heart in the midst of these battles that we face in standing our ground. Most people believe that courage is not being afraid, but that is not what courage is. I would submit to you that courage is still owning and possessing your own fears, but yet still standing up or taking action regardless of the fears you have. Because I can assure you as we read the story, and I'm sure you're reminded of it too, when they heat up the furnace and go to throw these guys in, I'm sure these guys were not thinking that the king was just calling their bluff and that he was just, oh, you know, I'm just going to see if this pressure gets them right where I want them. No, I'm sure they were actually afraid. They're not superhuman Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? Their names might as well have been Bill, Susan, Maggie, Amy, Stephanie. It could have been any of us. We have got to stand up, and standing up takes courage. True courage is acting regardless of your fears, not giving in to your fear. So verse 16 says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, (laughs) we have no need to answer you in this matter. They probably knew how hot this furnace was going to be, and they probably considered the threat to be credible. But in this moment, they, they stood up and said, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I found it interesting in another version of the Bible, it says, it adds, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter, sir. It was this, it's this idea of respect behind it. It, it wasn't like a, ha, 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 we're calling your bluff and you're trying to call our bluff. Ha, we're going to stand for, no, it was, we've already made up our minds on this. So do what you must. I think that takes courage. They were courageous regardless of their fears. You see, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's standing firm in spite of my fears. 
So in the next part of the story, you see another principle about standing. And if you're taking notes, you should write this down. Standing up takes faith. It takes faith. I want you to recall, if you haven't heard, I want you to know for the first time. Many of you would have heard. Jesus said, faith the size of a grain of mustard. Mustard seed. Just tiny, tiny, tiny. Some of us say, and we even sing songs about this, give me faith, help me increase my faith. Lord, build my faith up. If you've got a tiny bit, you've got enough. If you've got it in the right place. So standing up takes faith. Faith that God is on your side, that he'll deliver you, that he'll be with you. Faith to know that when you stand for God, you are not standing alone. He is standing with you. When we have faith in the right place, deliverance comes. Verse 17, it says this, if this be so, let me, let me stop and go back for just a second. It's not in my notes. If you are putting your faith in your bank account, you will be disappointed. If you are putting your faith in a relationship, you will be disappointed. If it is misplaced faith, it is inactive faith. It's not really faith at all. But faith has got to be put in the God of heaven and earth who created me, who knew this moment was going to happen, who knew what I was going to go through, and yet I still choose to believe him. I'm holding out that he's the one who's going to deliver me. Verse 17 says this, if this be so, this is the continuation of their, their conversation. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I find this so powerful to consider when we're talking about standing our ground in today's culture that they understood, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they understood they were in a win-win situation. Now, I have had the same thought, and we've talked about this in the different areas of challenge when it comes to our faith. I've prayed for people who have died of cancer who did not get healed. We have, we have lost loved ones that were, it was before their time in our estimation. We have had challenges in our own lives where we can stand there and be filled with questions. And in the midst of this question of will they bow or will they stand, they were able to say with faith, God will deliver us out of this, but if he doesn't, he's still God. And that is a powerful faith. I would love to meet these guys when we get to heaven and be able to talk about the early days of what really built in their life, whether it was a conversation with their mother or their father, or whether it was some tragedy that befell them that caused them to understand, or whether they grew up in an environment that was challenging. Whatever it is that led them to this place, they had an unshakable faith, and they were not superhumans. They were you and they were I. So as a believer, I really believe that we are in a win-win situation. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, it'll be on your screen, verse 17. He's talking to Timothy and he's telling him what he's endured and gone through. And in verse 17, he says this, but the Lord stood by me. 
He stood by me and he strengthened me. In other words, he didn't just stand by me and let me suffer. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching better than you're receiving today. He stood by me and strengthened me so that through the message, through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued. (laughs) He says this. I love it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The lion was not a physical lion with Paul. In the previous verses in that passage of scripture, he tells us who the lions are who were roaring against him, even people in the church. And he says, but I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Look at what he says in verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So courage takes faith. It takes an amount of faith that you and I can all possess. Faith is not focused on what you're standing against. I want you to let that just percolate. Let that sink into you this morning. Faith, when we talk about faith, it is not focused on what we're standing against. It's not focused on a new job, a new relationship, a relocation, a cancer. It's not focused on those things. It is focused on what you're standing for. And so when we're faced with the choice and the challenge that we face in culture to stand for God, we've got to have our faith put in the right place. See, I have this belief And I hope you agree, many of you do, but I believe that we should be a church that's for God. (laughs) I know that's earth shattering, that we should be a church that's for God. You know, there are other churches that are against a lot of stuff. And don't get me wrong, please don't misread what I'm saying. God's choice was to send his son to save you, redeem you, and transform you to make you better than you are right now. God wants to do that. But we don't have to stand against all of the stuff. We just need to actually get our act together and stand for God. The gospel's message The gospel's message at its core, at its core, is that God loves people and wants to change them. That's really what it is. There's a lot of people in a lot of places screaming about the stuff in culture that we disagree with. But I think we ought to stop screaming about that stuff and start leading lovingly people to a God who can radically alter their life. This is an important thing for us to think about. See, I don't hate culture. I don't hate political parties. I don't hate groups. Um, well, Westboro Baptist, that's... Mm, uh, <laughs> I don't hate most groups. No, you shouldn't have hate in your heart. Here's the deal. Westboro Baptist, I hope you know. If not, I'll give you the quick reference. They're the idiot. I mean, they're the people who show up and they have giant signs that says, God hates fags. And they, they pick it at funerals and all of these other things. I, I don't hate groups and I don't hate people who do bad things. I love God and I want to stand for him. And I want the world to get an invitation because of my life and because of the words I speak to come and meet and be changed by that same God. It's been said before, if we don't stand for something, we will fall for anything. I think that's a very true statement. 
So we've got to know what we stand for. That's why I joke. It, it is a joke, but I hope you read your Bible this week. That's why I joke about it and say, listen, you've got to be developing your spiritual life outside of the 45 minutes on a Sunday morning or an hour on a Sunday morning. You have got to do this because that's when you know what to stand for and who to stand for so that we don't fall for anything. Okay, look what it says in the rest of the chapter. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. Notice how it keeps coming up. The anger's bubbling to the top. The expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more than it usually was. Verse 20. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind them up and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 21. Then these men were... Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed the men who took them up. I want you to understand, if the edge of this stage is where the furnace is, and there are doors here, the mighty men who are dragging them to this fire, when the doors open, are burned alive. This is a gruesome tale that's in scripture, but it's got a powerful, powerful lesson for you and I. Verse 24, it says this, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He jumped up out of his chair. And he declared to his counselors, ooh, I'm about to preach. Did we not cast three men into the fire? They answered and said, yes, true, O king. What else does it say? It says, he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the appearance of the fourth. I, I challenge this version of scripture. Let me read it to you in the truest translation. It says of the fourth is the son of God. ESV translates it as son of the gods because they have an issue with plurality and they see it here in the word. But everywhere this phrase shows up in scripture, it says son of God. So I've got to tell you, Jesus is walking in the fire. And it says they're walking around. They didn't sit down. They are still in a posture that is standing. They, you've got to understand this. The ropes have been burned or untied by Jesus himself. And this is something that we see is called, uh, in theology, we call it a theophany. It means an appearance of God or an appearance of Jesus outside of the normal realm. I gotta, I gotta imagine. It's kind of like Jesus is sitting, seated, seated, if I can get the right word out. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And I've gotta imagine, he's been there for eternity now, since his 33 years on earth, before that, and now after that. And I can imagine him just being, hey, dad, I'll be right back. I'm gonna go freak old Nebuchadnezzar out. I can just imagine him going down and saying, hey, I just, I got to do this one. I'll be back in five minutes, but let me show up and let me show out because these men are walking. This is so powerful. They stood for what's right. They faced the threat of harm. They endured harm and yet they kept their life. And it says here, they were unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of God. It goes on to say, 
In verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar comes near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. And he declares, shouts down to them. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then the three came out of the fire. Verse 27, it says, and all those top dogs, those head officials, they all gathered together and they saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. You need to understand something. I was reading something this week, and I'll, I'll get back to this in just a second. I was reading something this week in my Bible classes, and with my eighth graders, uh, one of them basically just shouted. He has a problem sometimes raising his hand, but he basically shouted and was like, PD, do you, you mean to tell me that, fill in the blank, and we're talking about Moses and the Exodus and all the different things, and he said, you, you mean to tell me God had an old man hit a rock and water came out? Yes. Yes, I do. That's what the word of God says. It was a miracle. It's something supernatural. So I've got to tell you, because that's in my head this morning, I've got to tell you this is supernatural. It is true. It says this, these other top dogs are there as witnesses. They're all there when King Nebuchadnezzar calls them out. They walk out of the fire in their own power. And I just wonder if the fourth man disappeared or if he showed up and talked for a minute. I don't know. I'm just imagining. But it says the hair of their heads was not singed and their coats or their cloaks were not harmed. Listen to what it continues to say. It says that their cloaks were not harmed and there was no smell of fire even on them. So I'm here to tell you, you can take a stand for God in the midst of culture and not even walk away with a hair singed, a coat burned, or the smell of smoke or culture on you. It is possible. Write this down. Standing up inspires others. You know, you think they're going to hate you for it, but in fact, they actually love you for it. In the, in the end, I know that there are some challenges and there are some very evil, wicked hearts, but there's something more powerful than even the fire that happens next. In verse 28, it says this, Nebuchadnezzar answered and he said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. I've got to tell you something. This is my thought. I want it to be your thought. I can't find it in scripture, but this is my, my, it's how the wheel is spinning. Had they been provided by God with like a sphere of protection in the fire and there not been a fourth man in the fire, there would have been a temptation for when they got out of that fire for everyone to bow to them. But because there was a fourth that looked like the son of God, Nebuchadnezzar was confident in his understanding that this was divinely done. This was not something that a human could somehow make magically happen. It says here, verse 29, therefore I make a degree, any people, nation, or language. Notice that. The beginning of the chapter said, Every person, every language, every nation. Now it says the same thing in a different way. It says that speaks anything 
against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other God who's able to rescue in this way. So he was saved. He just wasn't sanctified yet. Okay. He's like, everybody get saved right now. Believe in this God or I'm going to kill you because this is awesome. I mean, that's, this is limb from limb. I mean, that's a gross picture and their houses burned and laid in ruins. But he says this because there's no other God who's able to rescue in this way. Verse 30, then the king promoted. That's what happens. The king promoted these three guys in the province of Babylon. You know, we have this thought. We have this fear. It's given to us by our own heart, but it's also organized and authored by the enemy that if we do stand for God, we'll face demotion, that we'll lose a promotion or that we'll have some issue. We'll lose a relationship with a neighbor or whatever it may be. But God's desire is to promote you. Many people don't get to the place of promotion because they have never stood in faith in the face of adversity, believing truly that God would be the one who could rescue them. They failed in that and they never got to the finish line. God help us to not be those people. I want to come back to one thought that I think is key to this whole process of standing up, and it's that we're standing up for something and not against something. I could probably give you 20 things, but I've only got like five minutes left, so I'll give you three, three ways that you can stand up. The first is this, number one, stand up in prayer. Now, I know you might be introverted, and I, and I am extremely extroverted, But I've got to tell you, in all of my study in scripture, prayer is not passive. It's active. It's not a, the Lord knows my heart, so I'm not even going to use my lips right now. It's actually very, very active. It is not a passive thing. That's why some of you kind of look at me a little bit funny during pray first, but that's how I communicate with God. I need to engage my emotional self. And make sure I know I'm here in his presence to talk to him and have him talk to me. It's it's something that we've got to understand. Study it. Look it up yourself. But prayer should be a dynamic part of every day. And when I say dynamic, you might hear me say the words long, but I'm not saying long. I'm saying that if you are a child of God, you've got access to him just like that at the drop of a hat. We don't have to have three songs before you meet Jesus. (laughs) I mean, we like three songs. It's a good, comfortable medium. But here's the idea. The idea is I can be in my car and I can be the 10-minute commute from here to my house and God can meet me just as strong, if not more so, by myself because I can express myself without anybody around to look at me weird, except for the cars that pass me. Stand in prayer. It should be a dynamic part of your day. Not, not a long, it doesn't have to be long, but it needs to be, amen? Ephesians chapter six, verse 11, I love this. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, say it with me, stand against the schemes of the devil. God's will for you is good. You need to hear that this morning. His will for you is good and beneficial. And there is some little devil 
trying to undo and thwart all of his plans. He's got a loud roar, but if you open up the box and look inside, it's a tiny little cat, okay? It's a little, he's, but we have got, God's given us armor to stand against his schemes, against the things that he is trying to do. Look at what verse 13 says. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And it says something there, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. How many times does it say stand? A lot. Stand. The only way you can stand is if you've got God's armor on you. There's another message there for another day about a little boy who was sent to kill a a Goliath, a giant, and tried to wear the wrong armor. But God had armor even in that moment. Amen? And it wasn't what you think it is. I hope you receive this today. Number two, stand up for your purpose. All of hell is going to try to keep you from fulfilling your God-given purpose. In fact, the devil's probably talked some of you out of being involved in a ministry or on a team here in your church because you have thought about, well, I'm not worthy. You're right. Okay, sorry. (laughs) I, I was expecting a loud amen, but I guess that hurt a little bit. You're not worthy. You're not good enough. You're not excellent. We're, none of us are. I had a bad week. You don't know. I cussed my wife out. Well, open up the door on church on Sunday morning and say good morning and welcome the family of God here. It's still possible. God takes the broken and the imperfect and he still wants to use them. I don't know what issues Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had in their life, but I can assure you, not only were they not superhuman, they weren't perfect. The enemy will lie to you and tell you that you're not worthy, and that is true. But that's why we stand up. Because we stand up not for ourselves. We stand up for the one who stood for us, who lives inside of us. Amen? So 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Just give me just another minute or two. Worship team, you can come join me. Play soft in the back. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I want to read to you the NIV version. I usually use the ESV version. It's just easy to understand, but this says it in such a way that I wanted to have this on the screen for you. It says this, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Read that next sentence out loud with me. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It would probably disappoint you if I told you all of the days how I was this close to throwing in the towel. You'd probably be surprised. You'd probably wonder about my mental health or stability. But it's because I know that I'm not perfect. It's because I know that I am in need of him. It's because the job is too big and I cannot do it myself. All of those reasons, that's the reason why I stand on this stage is because I am convinced the word of God is true. Stand firm and let nothing but God move you. You need to hear that today in the decision that you face regarding whatever it is, whether it's a financial decision, a travel decision, whatever it may be. 
Let nothing but God move you. I know that all of hell is going to try to get me to give this up and do something else. And I should for the paycheck and for the house and for the whatever. I should do something else in my own humanness. That's what I think. But God has called me and he's put me in this place and I love it. I don't care what we face because we're doing it together. So I say, stand for your purpose. And you say, pastor, that's really good for you. Well, what about you? Where's your purpose in the body of Christ? It might be slapping the base, which I'm thankful for Bill and he does a great job. And listen, if you say, you know what, pastor, I've been guilty. Pull that down just a little bit. If that's you or you, pull them down so I don't have to keep shouting. I want you to be assaulted this morning. If you say, you know what, pastor, it's true. I I haven't been engaged in fulfilling my purpose. And I want to be on a team. This is the woman right here to talk to you, Megan Goodson. She'll help get you set up. You can try out a team, you can join, you can check it out, then you, then we ask you to sign in blood. I'm kidding, we don't. You can even swap and move from a team that you don't enjoy or you think, well, I thought I was good with kids and now I hate them and I don't wanna, well, then, then we just put you in another team. Okay, here's the last one, we're having too much fun. Here's the last one, number three, stand up for God. If you do nothing else, stand for him. Think about it. He put his life on the line for you. Scripture says in Hebrews, he made himself of no reputation. His reputation got dragged through the dirt. His career was on the line. And Hebrews says that he did it for the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him was not so that he could, oh, I can't wait to get back to heaven and see my father and be in a nice warm building or whatever. It was you. It was me. It's for joy that he endured the cross, embracing its shame so that I could stand for him. says in Matthew chapter 10, he says, if you acknowledge me in front of people, I'll acknowledge you before my father. But he goes on to say, if you deny me in front of people, I'll deny you before my father in heaven. I don't want him to deny me and I don't want him to deny you. Here's something interesting I found, and this is the, the last complete thought. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus is pictured as seating or seated, I keep messing that up, seated at the right hand of God the Father. Here's one instance in Colossians chapter three, verse one. It says this, just that last phrase where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. There's multiple of them. Hebrews goes on to say in another way that he's seated at the right hand and that he's praying for you. I feel the Holy Spirit working on me today in this message that Jesus himself is concerned about you he's not dead he's alive and he's he's actively speaking into the ear of the father saying look there's Suzanne look there's Dan look look there's Amy he's talking about what you're going through he's interceding 
for you before the Father. What a thought. He's talking to God for me. But there is this one time in the New Testament where Jesus is pictured as standing, and I, I gotta show it to you. There's a man named Stephen in Acts chapter seven, and he's preaching the gospel, and he's getting brought up on charges, and they sentence him to death. And the death that they're going to sentence him to is to stoning. In those days, they would tie you standing to a post in the middle of the city square or wherever they could find a public you know, gathering. And people would pick up rocks, some large, some small, and they would stone you literally till the bones in your body were broken, the organs were failing, you were internally bleeding, and you were losing all of your breath in life. And it says this, that they were stoning Stephen. He has the, the awesome distinction of being the first martyr for the Christian faith. In verse 55 of chapter 7, it says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. It's the only place in the, in the New Testament when we see that outside of Revelation in the future and how Jesus is going to stand and he's going to ride a horse and all that stuff. This is the only place, and I believe with all of my heart, that as Stephen stood for God, God stood for him and stood with him. Jesus does stand up on some occasions, and I believe with all of my heart, he stands when we stand up for him. I want to ask you to stay seated for just this moment. We normally would have you stand. And I want the worship team to just play a quick chorus and we'll finish out the service briefly. But I want this message to sink into your heart. Maybe you're like me and when I was even putting the message together, I was thinking of the times I've been guilty of allowing culture to influence me rather than me influence culture. Maybe you've got some guilt and shame about that or some decision that you've made. Maybe there was a joke told at work and it was inappropriate and you laughed and then all of the insides were like, that doesn't please God, I shouldn't be part of this. Whatever it may be, I want you today to know that there's freedom and forgiveness and that God wants you to start standing for him. And I, I really believe, I'm gonna sit down here too. I really believe that as the worship team plays, as you feel it in your heart and you say, God, I'm committing today to stand up for you, then just stand where you are and we'll begin to worship. I believe they probably sang a song of worship in that fire with Jesus that day. And I think that's a perfect send off to us today that we would stand in just a moment and we would join together in worship saying, God, I will stand for you. Come what may, hell or high water, I am for you. Let's do it.